God is so good. Please have a seat. Come on up here with me. I've got a special message for the children. Come on up here. Ava, you get the award for the first person to the front. Way to go. Hey, guys, come on up here. Is that everybody? Everybody that wants? Oh, are you coming, Sophie? She's coming. Hey, good to see you. Thank you for coming up here. Are you guys having a good day today? Do you guys know what this thing is? Did you know that when I was a little boy, these didn't even exist? Do you know how we made phone calls when I was a little boy? There was a box on the wall in your house, and you had to go to the box, and then there was this weird thing called a dial, and then you would turn it like this, and you would have to do that for all the numbers, and then you picked up a thing called a receiver and held it to your head, and then it was attached with a cord. And so you could only go about six or eight feet away from the wall, and so when you had to talk to someone, everyone in the house got to listen to what you were talking about. Did you know that? Now we have these crazy things. What do we use these for? Phone call. To call people and talk to them like, hello, like this? What else? What was it, Karis? We text people. What is that? So you like type a message, and then someone gets that message from anywhere in the whole world. Oh, games? Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a game device as well. Anything else? What else? I'll come back to you. One more. Sophie. FaceTime. We can video chat with people. Can you take pictures with this thing? Let's take a picture together. Ready? You guys ready? Here we go. Everybody smile. Perfect. You know, these things only work if the stuff inside of it works. You know that? So this is one of my really old phones, and I used it for a while, and then you know what happened after I used it for a little while? It stopped working. So I would charge it all the way up, and then I would unplug the charger, and then in like 20 minutes, you know what would happen? It would just shut off all by itself. Can you make phone calls when the battery dies on your cell phone? No, it's worthless, right? And then, you know what, after, after that, you know what happened. Then the touch screen wouldn't work anymore. So I would touch it and slide my finger around, and it wouldn't do anything. It would make weird colors, and weird shapes would appear on the screen. So when the battery's dead and the screen doesn't work anymore, what can I use my cell phone for? Maybe a paperweight, or we could play catch with it like that. <laughs> Good catch, Karis. She caught it, just by the way. So you know what I had to do to make this cell phone work? I didn't get it repaired. I repaired it myself. So I took it out of the case like this, and I threw that to the side, and then I turned it over on the, on the side here, and there's all kinds of little screws in this cell phone. They're tiny. You have to have a microscope or a mi magnifying glass to see them. And I took the phone all apart, and I put a new battery, and I put a new screen, and after I got done repairing all the insides of the phone, you know what it did? It worked again, and I could make calls and take pictures and send texts, and it still works today. Did you know that God wants to give you a new heart? Did you know that? That God sent Jesus, his son, to die on a cross in our place 
And that Jesus gives us an invitation that if we turn from our sin or the mistakes we make and turn toward God and believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says God gives us a new heart. And with our new heart, we can do the things that we're supposed to do, like worship God and fulfill our purpose. So the word of the day today is heart, because God gives us a new heart through faith in Jesus. All right, so to go back to your seats, and as you sit there today, you can count how many times I say the word heart. All right, church, I want to invite you to take out a copy of God's word with me today and open it up to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8, actually Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to tell you the same thing that I just told our children. God desires to give you a new heart through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't had that radical encounter with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can have that today. You can receive the new heart that only Jesus provides. If you've received that heart, if you're walking by faith in Jesus, if you've been reconciled with God, our Creator, my question for you today is, are you, are you following Him with your whole heart? Are you following Jesus in His direction and His will for your life? Well, let me give you a quick review of Acts. In the past couple chapters, some pretty amazing things have happened in the book of Acts. There was a great revival to begin with as Peter stood up in front of the crowds in Jerusalem at Pentecost and proclaimed the gospel, and thousands were saved. And then he found himself once again standing before the crowds, preaching the gospel, and once again thousands more were saved. Signs and wonders were being done, and the people of Jerusalem were rocked to their foundation by the name of Jesus, their Savior. Shortly after that persecution broke out, and a newly called man named Stephen found himself before the leaders in Jerusalem, testifying to the name of Jesus in front of them, proclaiming that Jesus is the Lord and the Savior. He soon found himself persecuted for his faith and ultimately murdered for following Jesus. The Bible says shortly after that that a great persecution erupted in Jerusalem and all the believers except for the apostles left the city and they expanded out into Judea and Samaria and later to the ends of the earth. At the heart of this persecution was a man named Saul who stood and gathered the coats of the people as they stoned Stephen as the official witness and the one in full support of what was happening to him. And he had inside of his heart a deep hatred for all Christians and would soon engage in a mission to eradicate Christianity from Jerusalem and in all of the world. His active, he begins in this moment, in this particular text, arresting believers, overseeing their stonings, and organizing his community to remove Jesus from the earth. And what we're going to new or what we're going to look what we're going to look at first in the first part of this text as we look at Paul and what Jesus did to him and for him on the road to Damascus is that there is no middle ground in the kingdom of God. 
There is no middle ground in the kingdom of God. And church, that's why we need a new heart from God. Look at Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that he, if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Let's notice what's in Paul's heart, or Saul's heart, at this time. He hates Christians. He's actively persecuting them. He's standing against the name of Jesus and seeks to squelch the movement of Christianity. Even to the point of wanting to illegally murder all people who follow Jesus. To the best of our knowledge, Saul didn't actually kill anyone, but we see him as the Bible portrays him as the grand architect in the persecution against the believers. Now he knows this man named Caiaphas, who is the high priest at this time in Jerusalem, and he goes to him and says, I want to arrest all Christians, so would you give me letters, giving me permission to do that? And so he receives these letters, and then he's going to find himself on a road to go to a city near Jerusalem called Damascus, so that when he goes there, if he is to find people in the synagogues there who profess faith in Jesus, he can arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem so that they could be punished for their faith in Jesus. This text paints a picture of Saul before his conversion to Christ. He wasn't just a non-believer. He was adamantly and diametrically opposed to the Christian movement and desired to squelch it and the followers of Jesus from the face of the earth. Now, we don't necessarily deal with this type of persecution here in America, and thank the Lord for that. But this text also points something else out that's important and should be applied to our lives today. There is a great spiritual battle taking place on this earth right now at this time and here in America as well. The world is the battlefield. And every person is a soldier fighting that spiritual battle. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Anyone who is not with me is against me. And anyone who does not gather with me scatters. What we learn from that statement from Jesus is there is no neutral ground in the kingdom of God. You are either with Jesus or you are against Jesus. You are either with Jesus or you are against Jesus. Let me use a simple illustration to highlight that point. If you've played team sports growing up or still play them today, you probably understand what it means to play on a team. And I loved playing all kinds of sports as a younger man. One I loved especially playing was football. Now, football has 11 players on the field, 11 on offense, 11 on defense, and then the referees. So in the game of play, the field of play, you have the players and the referees. And the referees are there to make sure that all the rules are followed. 
The players are there to help their team to win the game. Now, if you're on the field and you're not a referee, then what are you? You're a player. And if you're a player, don't you have to belong to one team or the other? You cannot walk on the field and declare yourself to be a neutral player. What would that player do? Nothing. He would stand there and probably get run over. He would be in the way. You're either on one team or you're on the other team. Folks, that's simply what Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 12. Every single person on this planet is on one team or another. You're either with Jesus or you're against Jesus. There are no neutral players. There are no neutral soldiers on this battlefield living on this earth. We are all either with Jesus or we are against Jesus. Every single person, every single person is engaged in the spiritual battle that takes place on this earth. You need a, you, uh, we need a new heart because that's how God drafts us onto his team. We need a new heart because that's how we belong to Team Jesus. The Bible says none of us in our own accord, according to our own desires, none of us desire to obey and follow God. In fact, it says that all of us have a heart that stands opposed to God. It's only by His grace and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, according to faith in what Jesus did for us on the cross, that we find forgiveness of our sins and we're reconciled to the God who created us. It's upon that profession of faith and repentance of sin that we become born again. That we're given a new heart, a new desire, a new purpose to follow Jesus. And that's when, church, that's when we're drafted into and onto Team Jesus. Like Saul, every person without Jesus stands opposed to him. Every person on this planet needs a new heart provided by faith in Jesus. Now the good news is, is that an encounter with Jesus changes everything. He does for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. Let's continue in what Saul's doing now in verse 3. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, he replied. So Saul is on the road from Jerusalem heading toward Damascus to persecute Christians. He's literally going there to arrest men and women, husbands and wives, and even perhaps their children, to take them back to Jerusalem so they could be persecuted, stoned, put in jail, beaten, tortured. And on the way, there's this bright light and a voice. Who is it? It's Jesus. Jesus, in a miraculous way, confronts Saul. Now, Saul doesn't know Jesus, right? Saul's not a follower of Jesus, so Jesus appears to him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul, of course, says, well, who are you? Why would Saul say that? Because he doesn't know Jesus. He's not a follower of Jesus. He's got no relationship with Jesus. Who are you? 
So Jesus introduces himself. I'm Jesus. The one you're persecuting. Now, stop in this moment and understand what's not written there, but surely, certainly was understood by Paul. By Saul, sorry. Saul's name was later turned to Paul. That's what we call him now. Saul suddenly realizes this Jesus whom I've been persecuting. This Jesus whose movement I've been trying to end is alive. In fact, he's God. And I've been standing against him. I've been leading people away from him. Imagine what overwhelmed and overcame Saul in that moment. Everything he stood for and tried to do with his life was a lie and in fact was blasphemous and was in opposition to the God that he believed that he loved. Jesus has a command for him in verse 6. So Saul's there on the ground, of course, which is the posture that we find people in the Bible when they have a miraculous encounter with God, with Jesus, with God's angels. Verse 6, Jesus continues talking. But get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. So no one else sees Jesus but Saul. The guys that are with him, they know something amazing is going on. They, they hear a sound, but they don't hear exactly what Jesus is saying to Saul. They just know something happens. Now this great man, respected in the Jewish community, with authority to arrest people, put them in jail, and, and be the judge over stonings of those who follow Jesus, has now found himself blinded on the ground, unable to eat and drink because he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul's encounter with Jesus illustrates an important fact about the way that God impacts our lives. A spiritual encounter with God, whether it's through prayer, reading His Word, in a time of worship like this, will never leave us unchanged. When we meet with God, we will, by the nature of who God is and who we are, will be changed by that encounter. Saul met with Jesus on the road to Damascus and his world was rocked with the undeniable truth that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. His life was changed forever by that encounter. What happens when we meet with God? What happens when we pray to Him through the Holy Spirit, by faith in Jesus? When we read the Word, when we gather with other believers in a place like this and worship Him, what happens to us? The spiritual truths of God's Word, of God's Illumination through the ministry of the Holy Spirit confronts our hearts with God's truth about who we are and what we believe about Jesus and what God has called us to do with our lives. The question is, 
the place where this confronts us in our everyday lives is this. What do I do after my encounter with Jesus? Paul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. What did, what did Saul do? Well, he quit persecuting Christians. He started preaching the gospel. He wrote a whole lot of the New Testament. And he gave his life for the cause of Christ. That all began at that encounter on the road to Damascus. If you do not yet have a relationship with Jesus, if you have not yet received the new heart that God desires to provide for you through faith in Jesus, today is your day. Today is the day for you to be saved. Today is the day for you to be restored and reconciled to a right relationship with the God who created you. To be restored to the purpose that He created you to fulfill. At the end of our service, you will have a a chance, an opportunity to come forward and to be saved. To receive the new heart that Jesus provides to all who repent and trust in Him as Lord and Savior. The question I have for you believers in here today For those of you that already received your new heart from Jesus, are you laying down your life for him daily? This is how it works. We hear the gospel. We're overcome with an understanding of our sin. We're overcome with joy in knowing that Jesus came and died for that sin. We turn from that life and that sin, and and we place our faith in Jesus And then we're restored to the purpose that God created us to fulfill. And and then Jesus calls us to walk with him every single day. To walk and, and fulfill the purpose that he created us to achieve. But are you laying down your life for him daily? Matthew 16, 24 says this. These are Jesus' words. He said, if anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what the Word tells us is that being on Jesus' team, being a Christian, being a believer, is the same as being a follower. Being a follower of Jesus means we do what Jesus calls us to do. When we, let me see if my kids can listen. You kids, we're all kind of over here today. Have y'all ever played follow the leader? Anybody in here? All right. When you play follow the leader, who do you follow? The leader. It's really simple, right? So if the leader goes this way, where would you go? This way, right? Like this. If the leader goes down the steps, where do you go? Down the steps. If the leader goes over here, where do you go? If the leader walks out of the church, where? I'm not going to do that. If the leader goes up the steps, where do you go? So, very simply, through the brilliance of our kids, we learn how to play the game, follow the leader. Who do we follow? Now, in our life, it's too soon for that, Will. I'm not even going to do the illustration anymore because Will ruined it. I'm just kidding. So, we follow the leader, we follow the leader, we follow the leader. When we come to faith in Jesus, who's our leader? Jesus is. So, who do we follow? Jesus. We do what Jesus wants because Jesus is the leader of our life. When we came to faith in Christ, we declared that. We surrendered our life to him. 
He's the leader. He's the one we follow. He's the one we obey. And you know what's amazing? Is he gave us a book so we could know what he would want us to do with our lives. You know that? And if that weren't enough, he gave us God's Holy Spirit to indwell us, to live within us, so we could understand the book. The book is the Bible, and the Bible is our life manual, and that's what the leader gave to us so we would know how he wants us to live. So when Jesus says, if anyone wants to follow after me, you've got to deny yourself because yourself is going to want you to go this way oftentimes when Jesus wants us to go this way. So he's gotta, he says, you've just got to leave yourself behind and follow Jesus. You've got to leave your old, le- uh, your old life behind and follow Jesus. You've got to leave the old desires of that old hard heart behind and follow the heart that God gave you, a heart that loves Jesus and desires to please him. Are you following Jesus? That's a question for the church, for believers. If you're a believer in Jesus, are you following him? Are you daily denying yourself, taking up your cross, and following Jesus wherever he leads? Now, Jesus doesn't just save us. Jesus sends us. Jesus doesn't just save us. He also sends us. He gives us a new heart and a new purpose and something new to do for his kingdom. We weren't saved to sit. We were saved to serve. Saved to serve the Lord. Let's go to verse 10. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he replied. Get up and go to the street called Straight. The Lord said to him, Go to the house of Judas and ask for a man from, from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So the scene changes from the Damascus road where Saul is being led by his, uh, his entourage, blind, to the, the city of Damascus, to this house, this man who lives on Straight Street named Ananias. Ananias is a believer. He's a Christian who follows Jesus. Jesus appears to him, and he's got a job for Ananias to do. I want you to go to the house of Judas. There's a guy there from Tarsus named Saul. I need you to go there. Uh, He knows you're coming because I told him you were coming. And when you get there, I want you to pray over him so his sight can be restored. Verse 13. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. So let's put ourselves in Ananias' shoes. He has the wonderful, magnificent, life-altering opportunity to hear from Jesus in a vision. It doesn't happen to everybody every day, right? Ananias, yes, Lord, I'm here. He's probably thinking, this is amazing. I'm talking to Jesus right now. Woo, that, anybody else, would you enjoy that? Nobody, what, what if Jesus was only going to talk to the people who had their hands up? So Jesus meets with Ananias and tells him what to do. I already went over that with you. In Ananias' mind, I'm thinking, Ananias is like, yeah, yeah, I'll do anything you want, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden, wait, what? 
You want me to go visit Saul? Wait, Jesus, hold up. Just a minute. Just hold up. Do you know who that is? So he's talking to Jesus, the God of the universe. You know that that's the guy from Jerusalem, and he's here to arrest people. You know that I'm the one kind of person that he wants to arrest. So all of a sudden, Jesus' calling is getting kind of tough, right? He wants Ananias to go into the lion's den on this mission. But the Lord said to him, verse 15, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Jesus sends Ananias in to heal Saul because Jesus has plans for Saul. Saul will be Jesus' instrument. He'll be a vessel filled with God's grace to be sent out to Gentiles so that the world will hear the gospel and people from many, many tribes, tongues, and nations will hear and be saved. So Ananias' job is to go meet with Saul and prepare him for his ministry. His ministry will be to share the gospel with Gentiles, and he does that later in the book of Acts. He's going to stand before kings and share the gospel with them, and he does that before King Agrippa. He's going to share the gospel with the sons of Israel, which, which Saul did and later Paul did throughout the book of Acts. Finally, he says, he's going to suffer immensely for me. And Saul, later Paul, also suffered greatly. Let me read that to you. This is what happened to Saul. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 28 Are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, many times near death. Five times I received the 40 lashes minus one from the Jews. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I survived a stoning. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the open sea. On frequent journeys, I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers among false brothers, toil and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold and without clothing, not to mention other things. There is the daily pressure on me, my concern for all the churches." And Saul did suffer greatly for Jesus. But Saul's ministry began through the obedience of another believer mentioned just here, named Ananias. Do you think it was easy for Ananias to obey Jesus? Was it like packing for a day at the beach? Or a nice fun day out on the boat fishing? He was very possibly marching to his own death. I mean, if Ananias had a family, I'm sure he told them, I'm going to lay hands on Saul. And his wife is like, wait, wait, what are you doing? Do you know who he is? And then he's got to try and convince his family, no, no, I really, I had a vision. And Jesus told me to do this. And he did it. But I'm sure it wasn't easy for him to do that. Now the equivalent of that would be like, you praying and feeling a leading of the Holy Spirit to, to go somewhere in Key West and find a, 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 a radical Muslim terrorist to go to that man's home and to share the gospel with him. 
That's the equivalent of what God asked Ananias to do in this moment. That confronts us with this uneasy, difficult question. What am I willing to do for Jesus? When Jesus calls, am I ready to answer? What is Jesus asking you to do for the kingdom? When I read stories like this, I'm in awe of the faith of the people here and even of ancient days who followed Jesus' command to do amazing things. And when I read that, I want to be used by Him to do amazing, miraculous things. Anybody else? Does anybody in here want to make a difference for Jesus in this world? We do, right? We want to be used by Him. If someone were writing our life story when, when we're dying or dead, we want the book to be full of amazing steps of faith, right? I want to be like Ananias. I want to have a faith that's strong enough to march into the lion's den and to share the gospel, be willing to drop everything in my life and go where God calls me to go, to live on mission for him. But am I willing to do it? Am I ready to do it? If we want to be used by God to do great things, it starts by taking steps and doing the little things. Praying to Him. Hearing from Him. Studying His Word. We need to be trained by God's Spirit to be ready to be used by Him in amazing ways. We also need to have our yes on the table. For that concept is simple. That means... You tell God, my answer is yes, before God tells you what he wants you to do. That's tough, right? Your kids ever try and get your yes out of you before you know what they want? Your kids, anybody's kids ever do that to you? Try and get the yes, and then, and then when they ask for it, it's like, oh, it's too late. You already told me yes, so now you have to do it. It's not that at all. I just thought that was funny. When we engage with our God, the calling from our God is to put our yes on the table and to leave it there. And then when he comes to us in our time of prayer, in our time of reading of the word, in our time of worship, and we feel compelled by his spirit to do something for him, to take a step of faith for him, we already said yes. We don't get to say no. Because why? Our yes is already on the table. I already told God yes. I already told him I would do what he wants me to do. That leaves me no room to negotiate, no room to walk away, because my yes is already on the table. I think Ananias is probably only able to do what Jesus asked him to do because he already committed his heart to follow Jesus and to do what he asked him to do. We've got to put our yes on the table. We've got to commit our lives to serving Jesus. Lastly, I want to tell you that you can receive a new heart from Jesus. And so can the people you love. Let me tell you something. 
Nobody is too far from God to be saved. How do I know that? Well, I'm saved, and I was pretty far from God when I met Jesus. Some of y'all have the same story. We have a man here in this text named Saul who is literally orchestrating a movement against God and his, and his uh, Christian movement in the early church. He literally oversaw the stonings and the murdering of people who followed Jesus. And he was going on his way to a city to arrest people and bring them back to Jerusalem. And he was saved. So right now, that person in your mind that maybe the Holy Spirit put there, that person you think, that, that, that man, that woman, that husband, that wife, that, that aunt, that uncle, that cousin, that neighbor, they're never going to follow Jesus. That's just not true. Because anybody can be saved. And no one is too far away from God to receive Jesus. Let me show you this. Verse 17. Ananias went and entered the house. So he did what Jesus asked him to do. He placed his hands on him and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road you were traveling has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he, re, re, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. So Ananias does exactly what Jesus called him to do. Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Saul comes, baptizes him. Saul's filled with God's Spirit. But Ananias still has to fulfill his role, prays over him, his sight is restored, he's welcomed into the family of God, and spends his time there in Damascus with the other believers. Ananias' ministry to Saul is full of a lot of different life applications, but I just want to kind of close and focus on one. If Saul, the chief persecutor of the church, can be saved then anybody can be saved. Nobody is too far from God. Nobody is too broken to be repaired and restored and reconciled to a God who loves them so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for them. Jesus died on the cross for your mom and your dad, for your neighbor, your co-worker, for your children and your grandchildren. For the alcoholic and the drug addict, the one addicted to pornography, for the murderer. Jesus died on the cross for them. And God loves them. And God desires to save them. And God is calling you to tell them about Jesus. God is so good to us, isn't he? He's so good to us in providing salvation through Jesus. I can't think of any better way to remember what Jesus did for us than to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is what we're going to do now. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, and once we're finished with the Lord's Supper, we're going to have a time of invitation where you can respond to what God's doing in your heart. The Bible describes this as an opportunity for us 
to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we'll keep doing this until Jesus returns. It reminds us of the blood he shed on our behalf. Of his broken body which died for us. It also says that this is something that believers should celebrate. So if you're not a believer, if you have not yet met Jesus and received a new heart from him, I'll just ask you to abstain from that, and I would love to lead you to faith in that, in him. For those that are believers that want to partake today, we invite all of you to do that. But first, I want to give you a time of introspection. We're, we're not to take this lightly. In fact, we're going to use just a couple minutes here to make things right with the Lord. If you're, you're not following him today, if you're living a lifestyle contradicting to his word, confess that to him first. Make things right with God. And, and if, if you have something against your neighbor who's in this place today, you could go to them right now and make things right with him or her. We're going to give you a couple minutes to do that, and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. I ask you to take out the bread now. <clears throat> On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in memory of me. Now the juice. 
After the supper was ended, he took the cup and said, This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Do this in memory of me. I want to invite everybody to stand now as we move into this time of invitation. If God is stirring in your heart, if you have a decision to make, perhaps you would like to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior or take a step of faith, even just declare to him in front of this congregation that you're putting your yes on the table. Whatever it is that God's called you to do, come forward, we'll pray with you and give you a chance to pray here if you want. Heavenly Father, I pray over this time of invitation. You are a good God and we love you. In fact, you're good all the time, God. Thank you for the salvation that you provide for us through Jesus. Thank you for giving us a new heart, restoring our purpose, providing a pathway for us to walk with you and receive the joy that comes from that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Thank you, praise team. We take our offering up at the end. If you call Fifth Street your home, or if you'd like to participate in our offering, our ushers will be taking them at the end of the service. Plus, you can also do it online at our uh, website, at our website. Thank you so much. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, Lord. We thank you for all the blessings that we've received, Lord. Not only do we have regular water, Lord, and we pray for those that don't in our efforts to help them. We also have the living water, Lord, the water that we get from you that's eternal, Lord, that we will not need to thirst again. As Pastor Josh shared, Lord, may we turn to you, Lord, just like Sal, Lord. May we follow you, give you our hearts, Lord, change our hearts, Lord. You're the one that can turn dry bones into a living person, Lord. Help us with all our different shortfalls, Lord. Keep us safe this week and bring us back safely next week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
chorus again. Our God is free. 